All right, we are here recording whatever we're going to call this thing. And uh, we're here at the Trace Crossing podcast studio, also known as my office. Uh, we are going to sit down and evaluate everything Matthew said in excruciating detail. Um, hopefully criticize him a little bit and uh, make him feel a little bit lesser than he is right now. So and you're up next. Yes, exactly. We'll yeah. all be in the hot seat yeah, you, eventually. All right. So since this, since obviously nobody knows any of us, uh, why don't <laughs> you guys go ahead and introduce yourselves? Yeah, yeah, I'll go first. Uh, my name is Matthew Gilbert. I'm the lead pastor here at the church at Trace Crossing. Uh, I'm Josh Poor, and I'm the um, worship and community life pastor. You're the music guy. Here, I'm the music guy. <laughs> at Trace, and so I'm just here to provide comic relief, basically. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm Avery Thorne, the uh, pastor of Family Discipleship here. And I guess since I have the biggest microphone, um, I'm mm. the host for <laughs> yeah, that mic, this yeah, afternoon. That mic is huge. We got, we got Matthew and I got lav mics from the 70s. We, we have the lav. And Avery, Avery has the best mic in the house. So I guess I'll go ahead and start you out with a little bit of a softball, Matthew. Um, I want to get you an easy one just to get rolling. Uh, what do you think about Mellon voting for this upcoming election? Oh, my goodness. Um, you would go there. How did Genesis you, speak you to that? You would go there, man. I'm, uh, this, I'm just this kidding. This is not the year. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It would uh, be purely exegesis, though. So <laughs> let Genesis speak to yes. that. Um, so uh, in all sincerity, uh, you know, we're a few pastors under um, 40, which means that we need a podcast, right? So uh, really trendy. No, it, uh, seriously. Um, it's not a thing anymore. I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> so what, what are we doing up here, um, you know, with, with the mics and, you know, computer open, acting like we know what we're doing? Why do we think that this is a good idea? Why do we think that this is a good use of, of our time and our resources? Well, if you've ever preached before, and, and everyone in this in this room at least is a preacher, you always have that, that feeling after you preach a sermon, like, I wish I had said this, or I wish I hadn't said that. You, you always wish that you could go back and provide more clarity or to say something, you know, different or in a better, more compelling way. And we're, we're trying through this podcast to provide that opportunity for whoever preaches the previous Sunday. And it's, it's not just because we're perfectionists and want a perfect sermon. It's because we care so deeply about shepherding our people in the word. Hmm. And, and so we, we want to make sure that if there's anything that we could say that we could add to our exposition of a text. We want to we want to take every opportunity we have to do that. And also, for the sake of our members, we don't want our sermons to be two hours long. So in the process of studying sermon prep, there are always things that we, we could add, we could say, we could walk through that we intentionally choose not to, sometimes just for the sake of time. Mm -hmm. um, that used to not always be the case at Trace Crossing. My sermons used to be an hour plus. Um, Josh, you wouldn't until I got Until I got here. Yeah, Josh got here and I just... <laughs> I brought the hammer you, down. You did, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you wouldn't... You didn't experience this, this, Josh, but there was actually a sermon I preached at Trace Crossing that lasted an hour and 15 minutes. 
Wow. Yeah, it was, I'm so thankful was, that happened before I was here. It was glorious. <laughs> I'm it sure was, it was great. <laughs> In that case, you would not need to do a sermon Q&A we, we would not after the fact. Q&A. No, I said everything that could possibly be said, <laughs> right. and maybe half of it was helpful. Right. Yeah, so, well, that's, that's great. Um, yeah, I think, I think our members will benefit from uh, being able to hear from you um, after the fact, uh, being able to clarify some things, um, being able to understand why you made those decisions, I think will go a long way towards, uh, you know, engendering uh, just a, you know, conversation uh, with you and understanding of, of what you're doing. Uh, so we're in Genesis uh, 1 through 11 this semester. What do you hope to gain um, from our study in Genesis? What do you, especially, what do you hope our church gains, our members? What do you hope we gain from our study in Genesis 1 through 11? Well, obviously, I want us to have something else to argue about, you know, mm-hmm. disagree on <laughs> in 2020. Uh, Genesis 1 through 11 is full of those controversial, debated issues. But no, we, we believe in giving our people the whole counsel of God. And so we believe that God has revealed himself in the scriptures. And so we simply want to go to the various places in the scriptures and expound upon God and his revelation. Um, We're choosing to preach through Genesis because, quite simply, it's up next. You know, Mm -hmm. we we were in the New Testament the last time we walked through a Bible book, and, you know, now we're back to the Old Testament. And so... Uh, we chose to walk through Genesis. What I want our people, though, to come away with is more awe of God and more humility with themselves. Like I, I want them to see God for who he is, and I want them to see themselves for who they are, and also to, to kind of get this foundational understanding, not just of God and and themselves, but also the whole storyline of Scripture. So, mm. you know, we don't, the name Jesus does not, show up in the book of Genesis. However, his imprint is all over the book. The story of the gospel is there. And so I want our people to, to come away worshiping the Lord and growing in their understanding of some of these fundamental truths about him. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, so we've spent a good deal more time in, uh, in Genesis 1. Uh, we, we've been there for two weeks now. And what are some things uh, that the Lord is using in you through uh, your study of Genesis 1 so far? We, you've, you've had a couple of weeks to reflect on it. You spent the first week um, addressing you know, what happened in the bare act of creation that God created, and then this week um, exploring a little bit more about uh, the content of what that creation was. So how has that impacted you personally? And, you know, I think I mentioned it in the sermon yesterday, uh, this past Sunday, but I, I really expected to come to this, this passage, Genesis 1, and be ready to take on, you know, some of the, the various claims that are out there and, and just help our people be able to navigate some of the debated issues. And the more I studied Genesis 1 and the more I saw God's name, and the more I saw God's power and his activity, and especially, you know, as we walk through the creation account, just how, how simply he created all that there is. Uh, I did, I came away, and especially these past two weeks, with, with a deeper 
sense of reverence for God. Um, something as simple as praying as, as I address him as father, knowing this foundational truth about God as creator who needed nothing to create, who, who is not dependent on his creation in any way, who is before the beginning, it, it has left me with a sense of, of awe before this God. And, and so I, I think that my sense of reverence before him has, has definitely deepened over the past two weeks. And I didn't exactly expect that to happen, but maybe I should have. Yeah, I'll, I'll second that. I mean, we'll, we'll talk in just a little bit about, <clears throat> you know, some of the more uh, debatable aspects of, right. of Genesis 1. Um, but there is a temptation when you get into the weeds of those debatable topics to miss the, the grandeur of yes. what Genesis 1 is really about. And it, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't talk about those things. We're going to talk about those things and what some of the various views are. But if you capitalize on those and sort of major on those, uh, then you can really miss the, the main point. And so uh, it, was a, it was a chance for me as I was sitting under your preaching to, to be reminded of that, mm-hmm. that uh, to, to get what the thrust of Genesis 1 is, um, is to be sort of reignited and reinvigorated in your view of God and your awe of God and your, your love for God. Mm-hmm. So I really appreciated that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, both of you kind of mentioned uh, some of the more uh, debatable uh, parts of Genesis 1. And obviously the whole reason we're doing this is so that we can still talk about controversial things, but you don't get in trouble for saying it from the pulpit. Uh, so <laughs> anyway. Um, Our three listeners out there, you know, they, they may send me an email, but yeah, yeah. that's it. It's a little different. You're well, brave. we're, we're at a distance brave. at this point. Nobody's here to smack us, so, exactly. you know. <laughs> um, so, Josh, I know you have been, uh, you've been thinking through some of those issues, and you've, you've mentioned wanting to talk about them. So, uh, why don't you ask uh, one or two of those to Matthew, see what, see what he thinks, really. We, we all want to know what he really thinks. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Sure. Well, I, I will. Before um, we, we get to some of those specifics, I do think it's important when we um, a, approach these topics in Genesis to, to really understand that, um, and you've been dealing with this in your sermons, that uh, not everything is up for debate That's right. in Genesis. Um, but there are orthodox beliefs that we need to hold to, sort of non-negotiables that we need to hold to. And you, again, you've addressed several of those uh, throughout your sermons. And so maybe you want to speak to just a couple of those before we jump into the Absolutely, yeah. Topics. It made me think, I was, I was telling you guys before we uh, threw the mics up, I was reading a book by Francis Schaeffer called uh, Genesis in Space and Time. And he has this great question that other modern theologians have, have worked off of. And he asked, what is the least we must make of Genesis 1 through 11 in order for the rest of the Bible to be coherent and true? And man, I think that is such an important question mm. for us. We're, we're really asking, what is most clear when it comes to the, the non-negotiables? When something is getting in the territory of a non-negotiable, most of the time it's because it's pretty clear you know, in, in Scripture, and there's consensus throughout the ages of, of Christians. And so you know, there, there were really four things that I, I brought out in this past sermon that would fall in that first order non-negotiable category. And the, the first was that God created the world. And, you know, just that, that simple idea, but he didn't just create the world in any way. He created the world out of nothing. 
meaning that he had no pre-existing materials with him that he used to create the world. It was God, nothing else. God decides to create, and then he, he creates. And he does that by speaking, you know, something else that's, that's really clear. Um, a second non-negotiable truth is that God is distinct from his creation. So God is not a part of his creation in any way. There's the creator, and then there's the creature. And so that's a really important distinction that we see in Genesis 1. Another is that God created the world, and when he created the world, he created it good. So God's world, after he created it, was good, and it possessed the blessing of God. And then from there, we, we see that God created the world for his glory. And so the, the world was not created because God was lonely, or he was desperate, or he was in need of, of something that he didn't possess within himself. No, he created the world to display his glory. And there are a number of other things that we discussed, the, the eternality of God. Uh, but yeah, so that's those are just a few things that that are not up for debate that mm-hmm. that are that are more clear and and that's that's really why I focused on those things in the sermons. Yeah, and I think as we move forward, you know, we'll return to that uh, sort of tension between that which is non-negotiable and that which is up for debate as we move forward, especially as the creation narrative really starts to zero in on humans, yes. you know, we'll need to sort of put the stakes in that Adam and Eve were historical figures right. and, um, you know, that, that there is a real presence of sin and that Adam and Eve really fell into sin and right. as a result all of humanity did. And so we'll get into more of those as, you know, Genesis um, moves forward. But uh, to focus primarily on Genesis 1 uh, with those non-negotiables in mind, obviously, uh, there are negotiables as well, and I, I heard this illustration a while back. I wish I could um, ascribe to it its proper author, whoever came up with it. I just can't remember who it was that said it, but I thought it was a really good illustration. That's when how you... pastors steal sermon illustrations. Yeah, by the way. you know, I'm we giving. Just, cre- we just forget. I, you know? That's right, and then and then eventually it becomes my own. <laughs> it, this was not mine. I just think it's a great illustration when you think about this, and I mean, you could you could apply this to a lot of different other. Uh, parts of of the Bible, but when you think about uh, the sort of relationship between non-negotiables and debatable topics, you think about a playground, uh, and it's important for a playground to have a fence around it, so the children know um, that that these are the parameters of the playground. And to go outside of those parameters is to potentially be to is to potentially be unsafe. And so we think about the non-negotiables when we look at Genesis 1, the the things that you mentioned as sort of the parameters Mm -hmm. of this conversation. To go outside of these parameters is to not be safe from a theological doctrinal standpoint, is to potentially put yourself outside of orthodox Christianity. But inside the playground, uh, children can, and in this case, we can as Christians, choose which playground equipment we want to play on, and all of them are within the bounds of the playground or Orthodox Christianity uh, to keep the metaphor going. And so I might choose to play on the seesaw, and Matthew might choose to go on the merry-go-round, and Avery might be over there playing tetherball by himself. I mean, you know, it's like we can choose to do different things and still be safely within the bounds of, uh, of Christianity or the playground, however you want to put it. So with that said, uh, what's your favorite playground toy? That's the <laughs> I just love that we could see Avery playing by himself, playing tetherball by himself. <laughs> right. You know, if anybody could figure out how to do it, it would be Avery. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, who else would be able to compete with me? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, so where there's mystery, there's debate yes, in Scripture. That's right. Uh, and there are lots of mysterious aspects of, of Genesis 1. You know, I'll, I'll, 
uh, kind of lob it up for you. Uh, one of those being, uh, if God didn't use any pre-existing material to create, uh, how do you make sense of, and maybe you don't, I don't know, but can you speak to uh, the presence of waters or some kind of formless or void earth before the first day of creation? Yeah. How do we make sense of that? Do we make sense of that? Does that threaten our view of God creating everything out of nothing? Yeah, I mean, it would it would largely depend on on the view that you took. So for those who would hold to a theory called the gap theory, you know, they, they see a gap between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2 in that God mm. created the heavens and the earth and, and he created everything. And then there was some mysterious rebellion, some primeval rebellion that happens. Maybe the that, fall of Satan. That like call, some yeah. people have... have you know, postulated that. Yes, coincides with the fall of Satan. And so then the rest of the creation account is a recreation of, of the heavens and the earth. And so if you, if you held to that, you would, oh, yeah, well, you know, this is why, because the earth was created and then this, this was this judgment, this chaos, this darkness that, that came from it, and then God recreated the heavens and the earth from there. Uh, so, yeah, it, I, I don't personally hold to that view. Um I would say that the Lord created the heavens and the earth, and He created everything. Uh, uh, and then from there, as we as we delineate between verse two and from verse three all the way to the end of verse thirty-one, we really see God initially creating the earth, which is really all we're given in verse two, mm-hmm. and then it's described in its in its state, you know, as it's created as a formless empty, you know, I don't know, planet, uh, Mm -hmm. matter, whatever it is. And so I think the point that is emphasized there is that God is forming and filling what is left uh, initially formless and and empty. So that's really where I land on that. I don't have like a very clear answer to the description of waters because then you also have, you know, later on the waters above, the waters below, and, right. you know, so right. <laughs> I don't know how helpful that is. But, but here, uh, here's where, um, you know, what, regardless of whether you adopt the gap theory mm-hmm. or some other version, there's different variations. Uh, of variations. That John Salehammer, if you want to look, if you want to take a deep dive, John Salehammer has his own version of the gap theory that he, you know, kind of puts forward. Yeah. And so there's different versions. But regardless of whether you adopt that or not, where, they, where those guardrails really come into play is, um, you know, it's safe to adopt various views on what that could mean as long as you don't say, well, because of that, that means there was pre-existing material yeah. along with God. Right. And that's why those are so important to put up is because it keeps us from making those errors regardless exactly. of where we go within that. Exactly. Uh, I know you're eager to talk about the days of creation. And were they literal 24-hour periods? Were they not? Are there gaps in between? What's going on there? Um, and, you know, I guess after that we can talk about how to make sense of scientific discoveries and how do we sure. marry that to the scriptures if we do it all. So right. maybe you want to jump yeah. into that. Yeah, um, I, I intentionally did not discuss the six days of creation because, you know, especially in a sermon where I'm focusing on the activity and the work of God, it, it can just simply be distracting. But there are a lot of different theories about what is meant by a simple word, day. 
you know, we have day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six of creation. And there are, there are so many different views and understandings of what those days actually are and what they mean. And people draw all kinds of implications from that. So based on their interpretation of the days, they, they say the earth is really young or they'll say the earth is really old. And I just kind of wanted to, to walk everyone through six very basic um, views of this. And the, the simple fact that there are faithful super smart Christians who hold to each of these views really helps give me a sense of humility in approaching it. But, you know, I just wanted to share these views. So the first one is, is one that is most traditional, uh, a view that a lot of us may, may hold to, and it's that uh, the days refer to 24-hour solar days, that, that creation essentially took place in 144 hours, you know, so just straightforward. A second view is called the intermittent day view, um, which, which is that there were 24-hour days of creation activity, but those days of creation were separated by an indefinite period of time. They're not consecutive. They're not consecutive. It's not like so, a week. Right. You know. So it's not, yeah, it's not happening in a week. There are 24-hour days, but they're separated by an indefinite period of time. A third view we, we've already talked about is, is gap theory, and that's that there's a gap between Genesis 1 and and Genesis 2, and a, a lot of people would try to make sense of modern scientific theory, you know, um, between those two verses, we have, you know, billions of years, you know. Dinosaurs, fossils. Yeah, all know, of it. All that stuff. Um, and there are variations of that view, as you said. Uh, a fourth view is called the day-age view, which, which understands the days as corresponding to geological ages. A fifth view is called the literary framework view. And, and this sees the days as just a literary structuring device. So, so not literal days, but just a structuring device to convey the truth of creation. Um, and they're not consecutive days. And then there's a sixth view that's called the analogical view. And this views the days um, as God's work days. So it would be God's work days, which are analogous to our work days, our, our typical week. They're cycles of work and rest, and they, they're analogous to our cycles of, of work and rest in, in daily life. But the length of those days is not specified. So, so yeah, those are, those are the, the primary views that people take when it comes to the six days of creation. You see why I didn't bring this out in the sermon? I'm upset that you didn't. Yeah, yeah. I was I, I was eager for one of those hour and fifteen minute <laughs> sermons that I missed out on. Yes, that's no, exactly. I, I think what it meant. was a mark of wisdom that you that you didn't because again, that's not the focus, and yet it's really fun to explore. It's really Absolutely. fun to to dig into that, and um, you know, I've often said, uh, you know, on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I might hold to a sort of modified gap theory, but on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And Saturdays, I'm going to hold to a, uh, I don't know, <clears throat> intermittent yeah, day theory. And then on Sundays, uh, I'm just not going to have a view at all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's how I think about it. I mean, uh, I'm sort of attracted to the analogical day view, uh, but then I'll read it. And as I was preparing to preach, I'm like, am I overthinking this? This just seems so straightforward. Maybe it's just 24-hour normal solar literal days, you know, <laughs> and... Sure. Uh, so, well, I, you know, a lot of people who hold to that view, and it's we can't say it's a wrong view. Ultimately, we don't know, but a lot of folks who do hold to that, they say that's the most plain reading yes. of the text. Uh, the problem with that, and I think, uh, not the problem with that view, but the, the problem with saying a sort of blanket statement like, well, that's the, the plainest reading, is that you're not reading 
something as simple as even like a gospel narrative. Right. You know, it's it's heightened poetic narrative, and we believe the events really happened. They are yeah. telling history. They're telling history in a very poetic way, and so you know, it's it's sometimes hard to sort of sift through the details of that. We 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 all believe from an orthodox standpoint that all of this stuff really happened. The things that you've already affirmed yeah. in your sermons. Uh, but the the telling of this history doesn't necessarily spell out for us exactly how these things happen. Mm-hmm. And so there needs to be flexibility there. Oh, absolutely. Sure. Yeah, one question that a church member might have, I have not heard this question, but, you know, for the sake of the chance that there might be. Um, someone uh, listening may think, well, you know, the you know literal twenty four hour day is the most plain reading. Um, so are we allowing uh, science to modify our exegesis? You know, are we like kind of kowtowing to uh, you know the claims of not not just evolution, but I mean you know just the old Earth, you know carbon dating, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So. Uh, yeah, are we, you know, allowing um, science to dictate exegesis of Scripture when we take one of these views? Yeah, no, we're not. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I can't speak for everyone. I think I think people do that. I think they that it's it is tempting to start from a scientific theory and then go to the biblical text and try to make sense of it. Uh, our approach. Maybe I should just say my approach. My approach to any text of Scripture, especially as it relates to science or, or anything else in the world, any other uh, uh, practice, is to understand the, the biblical text within its context and to try to understand it for its purpose. So what was the intent of Genesis 1? And I, the, the worst thing we can do is try to make Genesis 1 do something it was not meant to do. And so we don't believe that Genesis 1 was written as a scientific text. You know, I don't, Moses wasn't, you know, wrestling with these scientific questions as he, as he wrote these words. So we, we, really, we really don't bring them together in that way. Now, can, can we look at scientific, you know, views or claims or, you know, especially uh, uh, wi- widely held scientific claims and then, look to the Bible and see what lines up and see what makes sense. Absolutely, and we do that all the time. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I think it's important to, to have that distinction. We are not starting from scientific theory and then going to the Bible and mm. either making the Bible fit it or judging the Bible based on it. Uh, and then another really important thing to make sure we don't do is to, to try to force the Scriptures to do something that they were not meant to do. Right, so... Um... Would you say then that regardless of what view you hold, if you, you take it a step further and try to date the earth based on any of those views, that that is an exegetical mistake? It's a good question. Mm. Am, I, am I trying to force you into saying something yeah, I, controversial? I, 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 I don't believe Matthew's going to say anything controversial. Um, I would never. I would say... It, an exegetical mistake might be a strong way of putting it. Uh, you know, um, we always want to be asking the question, what's in the text? What was the author's intent? Yeah. What does this teach us about God, about the world, about us? Uh, but sometimes we can 
make the Bible say things that it's not trying to say. Like we we believe the Bible has given us everything that we need to know yes. about God, about the world, about human nature, about how to be reconciled to God, but not everything there is to know. Right. You know, so it's important to recognize where there is mystery, again, where uh, we, we simply can't know uh, things, and the, the scriptures are clear that we, you know, we, we don't get access into the mind of God. We know what he's revealed in his word. Um, so it's not a bad impulse to right. try and ask of the Bible, what are you telling us about these things? But it is a bad impulse, or I guess a bad application of that impulse uh, to make the Bible say something that it's not. But I mean, there have been examples throughout history, um, maybe the most famous being, uh, or examples throughout history of, of science coming along and discoveries being made and God giving um, even non-Christians the intellect to, to study the world and, and know what the world is doing and what it's not doing and correcting, not correcting the Bible, but correcting faulty interpretations of the Bible. When you look at a, a text like uh, Ecclesiastes 1.5, when it talks about the sun rising and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. Well, if you take that to be literally saying that the sun goes down and the sun rises, as many Christians throughout history did, then you're going to be a, a, a flat earther. Um, and, uh, and yet science came along to say, no, the earth is not flat, even though there are, there's a contingent of people even now that, that believe that. Uh, we know that's not true. <laughs> we know that the earth is not flat. We know the earth is round, and it's the earth that revolves around the sun. Right. And so where we can allow for science to correct our interpretations of Scripture, we should have the humility to do that. Uh, and let that not threaten in our minds or cause doubt in our minds that the Bible speaks truly. Yep. Uh, maybe it's just uh, that we have been... Um, erroneous in our understanding of what the scripture is saying and perhaps making it try to say what it's not. Yes. So that's a roundabout answer to your question, Avery. But hopefully... And to put it more bluntly, <laughs> if you go to Genesis 1 and you come out with an age for the earth, you, you're, you're doing it wrong. That's, that's not the... So yes, it would be an exegetical mistake based on... What you just said what so, just came out of your mouth. My yeah. answer was more gracious. <laughs> just well, saying. Well, you alienated <laughs> flat earth. Uh, truth He's going after so. Bigfoot next. Yeah. Oh, That's now. Funny. Yeah. I'm okay with Bigfoot. <laughs> yeah. We, we think this is real funny. And then we're going to uh, stop this because someone left our church over our uh, flat earth comments. So. Oh, no. No, 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 no. All right, so we're at pool three zero right now, um, and so that's probably uh, getting to the edge of about how long we want it to last. We'll do like rapid fire questions, or we could or talk we about Bigfoot, Bigfoot more. Yeah, let's yeah, just end it by like talking about our favorite time. episodes of Finding Bigfoot. <laughs> All right, so um, I have I have one. I don't know how to word it other than an Avery question, um, and if you know me, this is a, this will make sense. Um, earlier you said that it is essential that we uh, make a distinction uh, between God and his creation. So uh, we know that that is a, a central belief to, uh, to our, our Christian faith. Um, it's also essential to our Christian faith to believe that God is omnipresent. So how can God maintain his omnipresence and the distinction between creature and creator. 
ended on a curveball <laughs> there, guy. Avery. Come you're on. not you're not in, in, interviewing Carl Bart, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's all thank God for that. This is, exactly. I we mean, want people is, to listen that, to this that, podcast. That, that curiosity just hit me, and I thought, surely Matthew. You might just have to remain know. curious about that one. He's, <laughs> no. he's like, hey, we're thirty minutes in, so um, <laughs> you're wanting this to be an hour? Is that, is yeah, that what yeah, it is? Yeah. Oh man. Okay. Um, we believe God is both transcendent and imminent. Can we, we just? Do. Can we just all agree there? We do. Yeah. <laughs> we did it, guys. We solved it. We we solved it. I, I did I did kind of wanna wanna wrap up with this, which I hope this is the disposition that, that the three of us have when we approach issues like this. And it's it's the disposition that we want to foster in our church. We care deeply about the truth. And so just because something is unclear or ambiguous doesn't mean that we should not explore. It doesn't mean we should not study. It doesn't mean we shouldn't debate and discuss and and seek out the truth. So we really care about that. Um, But we're also called to love one another. We're called to be gracious with one another. We're called to humility. And so when we approach texts like this or various theories or various views, and and we know we're playing within the fences of, of orthodoxy, we need to approach them with humility with with openness and and we need to resist this this you know tendency we have towards smug certainty you know that's right where we we feel like you know our view is correct our view is right and and we have this smugness about it we need we need to resist that um while at the same time pursuing the truth with everything that we have yeah like i want to be just as willing to uh, sit at the lunch table with Avery, even though I think he's weird for playing tetherball by himself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thought you were going to say D and D. Oh, now that's a topic for a, another time. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I believe that will just about do it. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being patient. We are just a few Joes trying to figure this out. Uh, you know, we didn't do a mic check. We don't really know what we're doing. So uh, we appreciate you uh, tuning in, listening. And we hope to see you again next time.